Chapter 1 Man of Action Present Day Come on, Dad. It's only a few more blocks. Angus MacGyver was being led by the hand by his 14-year-old daughter. I'm coming, sweetie. Caitlin, they're not going to close. Let your dad enjoy his walk. Cindy MacGyver gave her husband's arm a squeeze as they exchanged a smirk. It was a decent morning in the Venice, California neighborhood after a fall storm came through the night before leaving the air crisp and chilly. The three decided to make the most of the Saturday morning and go for a leisurely stroll by the area's mom-and-pop shops and cafes. Mac and Caitlin were planning on taking one of their father-daughter camping trips, and there was a new camping store a few blocks away. There were times the whole family went out on one of the many wilderness locations MacGyver liked to stay for a few days, but Cindy's job responsibilities and his son Sam, on assignment as a photojournalist, taking him out of the country so much, it often came down to just Caitlin joining him for a weekend adventure. Granted, not the same type of adventure MacGyver had known for much of his adult life. At one point, he was the top agent for a think tank known as the Phoenix Foundation. He spent much of his time traveling the world, helping get people out of trouble and retrieving sensitive objects that could start a war. Troubleshooting is what he called it. It was the best description he could come up with for what he did. He didn't carry a gun like other agents. He had no intention on hurting people. He just wanted to help where he could, and his unique skill set set him apart from others. What he lacked in firearms, he made up for with his knowledge of practical observation. It was an exciting life most of the time. Since he had no other family other than his grandpa, Harry, he had nothing to tie him down and no one to answer to other than the job. That all changed when he found out he had a son who no one had told him about. While on assignment, he crossed paths with Sean A. Malloy, a.k.a. Sam, who was seeking revenge against his mother's killer. His mom, Kate, was a photojournalist, too, and Max Love in college. He always planned to find her again one day. But a shooting in China changed all that. Suddenly, he was the father of a grown, independent boy. It was everything he could ask for, but completely different than what he had planned. This was a full-grown, independent adult who wasn't always going to blindly do as his newfound father wanted. They both found common ground, remarkably quick considering their unorthodox meeting and have since become as close as a father and son can be. In the years that followed, Matt created a family the old-fashioned way, meeting Cindy Gans and being able to raise their daughter together surrounded by an eclectic group of friends in the city. Life had become relatively peaceful since retiring from the Phoenix Foundation. 
He had saved enough money through the previous years. He even started a repair business to keep himself busy. They would sometimes join him on the job if he needed an extra pair of hands. As the trio passed the display window of Dubuque's dress store, Cindy slowed down as she reached for her daughter's hand. Come on, let's check inside. Ugh, Mom, not now. This wasn't on Caitlin's agenda. Most days, she was used to wearing her Dodgers baseball jacket, jeans, and Converse, with her long, dark hair pulled through the back into a ponytail. Today was one of those days. She tended to prefer to dress for comfort over style, much like her father, who was also wearing jeans and a red t-shirt and a dark blue flight jacket, a style he had slid into many years before. It only take a few minutes. We need something for you to wear at Mama Lorraine's party. Mama Lorraine was a voodoo priestess and one of the first friends Mac had made when he moved into his loft years ago. Despite her eccentricities, she had proven to be a good friend to the often skeptical MacGyver, and right from birth she treated Caitlin like her own granddaughter, spoiling her rotten. Cindy gave Mac a look to say, Little help? Come on, kiddo. Listen to your mom. Caitlin knew she was right. She should save her some girl time with her mom. Cindy's attire typically swayed between business casual and comfy t-shirt, blue jeans, and a sweatshirt like today. Her raven hair flowed down to her shoulders and caught the light fall breeze. We won't be long, right? Cindy shook her head in assurance and looked at her husband. You coming? I'm gonna wait out here if that's okay. Enjoy some people watching. MacGyver smirked as he placed a hand on her back. Okay, then we could try that new tie place down the block after? You bet. He placed a kiss on her cheek before the two women entered the store. With his hands in his pockets, Mac glanced around the area to take in his surroundings. There weren't too many people out today, and he was okay with that. He hated crowds. He found a bench placed against one of the stores nearby and took a seat. He ran his hand through his shaggy, graying hair and took the cell phone from his pocket with the other. His boy was on his mind as usual, and he decided to take the opportunity to send him a text. Just checking in. Camping trip planned soon if you're home in time. Fish are jumping. Love, Dad. He smirked at the thought of cell phones being as prominent 40 years ago as they were now, and his mother texting him to see how his day was going as he ran from a group of third-world militia. Within moments, his cell buzzed in his hand. Sounds great. Give the girls a hug for me. Love, Sam. With a warm joy in his heart, Max slid the phone back in his jacket's inside pocket. He was enjoying the fall air and local traffic sounds that almost became white noise to him. Until he noticed the newly polished black Lincoln turn off the street across from him. He drove to the back of an empty 10-car parking lot belonging to Langley Furniture. It made a U-turn to face towards the entrance to be used as an exit when they left. Two middle-aged men in dark business suits got out and looked around, one carrying a black briefcase. Mac turned his head away, pretending he wasn't aware of their presence, and looked down at his watch. Once the two were convinced no one was watching... They headed to the back entrance at the side of the building at the far end of the lot, 
As the men closed the door, Matt got up, waited for a car to pass before crossing the street to look in the front window of the building. Squinting as he blocked the sunlight from above with his hand, he leaned in to make sure the lights were off. He could see nothing but chairs and table silhouettes. That doesn't make much sense on a Saturday, he thought. Something wasn't right. He walked to the edge of the storefront and took a cautious peek around the corner to make sure both men were inside. With the coast clear, MacGyver made his way to the back door and gently tried the knob. Instantly, he knew it had been locked. Instinctively, his hand reached into his pocket past the lint rubber band and handkerchief to grab his Swiss Army knife. Ever since he was a kid, he carried one and used it practically every day. Now, he needed it to pick a lock. He unfolded the awe tool from the side and gently worked it on the old keyhole. Until... With the click, he slowly turned the doorknob as he closed the knife with his other hand and slid it into his pocket. After slipping into the building among the narrow crack of light coming from the outside, the retired agent winced as he tried to stop the metal-on-metal sound of the door from echoing through the warehouse as it connected with the frame. The steel walls were 30 feet high, and the inside was relatively dark compared to the bright, brisk day outside. As he worked his way towards the muffled voices coming from deeper in the building, Mac thought to himself, What if I'm wrong, and I get caught snooping around? I guess the old looking-for-a-bathroom excuse could work. Or thought you were open. It is a business, after all. Just then, he heard one of the men mention a dollar amount. And among the various pallets and crates, he could make out the first two men talking to a third. This man was dressed a little flashier with a blue shirt that had three buttons open to show a gold chain around his neck. His hair, blonde, was slicked back, and he had a stance that boasted an abundance of confidence. From behind them, Mac could make out a male figure laying face down on the ground further down one of the makeshift aisles. It was clear now. These three were up to no good. Quickly, MacGyver took his cell phone from his pocket and thumbed 911. No response. He wasn't getting a signal. He probably should have snuck back out the way he came, but he thought about the unconscious figure and needed to see if there was anything he could do for him. He started looking around to figure out the best way to get over to him undetected. While the three thugs negotiated the finer points... Mac took the long way around. He softly crossed between the tall, stacked crates, mounds of sawdust and repair tools used to patch up the damaged floor models of various wooden furniture. As he reached the body laying on the ground, he could see two bullet holes piercing from the tan sweater of an elderly man, who Mac assumed had been the store owner. Keeping an eye on the three negotiators, he knelt down and used his index and middle finger to check for a pulse. Nothing. Oh, they must have killed him just to use the warehouse, he thought, as his attention turned fully to the three men. The thug in the gold chain held up a gray metallic box towards the other two and popped open the clasps that held it shut. Squinting to make out the details, he peeked his head around one of the dusty crates. 
MacGyver saw a Z-shaped firearm taken out and displayed for the finer-dressed men. It was silver, detailed with what appeared to be snake scales, and definitely not of this earth. If MacGyver could work his way back to the main showroom through the door somewhere behind him, he'd be able to use the landline to call for help. It was a solid, safe plan. Until some crate fragments popped and cracked beneath his feet as he stepped backwards. With the echo of the wood breaking, all three men quickly turned their attention to the middle-aged man, whose wide-eyed face went pale. The moment felt like eternity, until two of the three men pulled automatic handguns and started firing at their unexpected guest. Quickly, Mac ducked and dodged to the right as he did his best to avoid the barrage of bullets zipping past and around him. He ran down a dark row of towering steel stacks and zigzagged across the deepening aisles as the two men ran after him, guns drawn, ready to fire again. Hearing the two men from coming around one of the corners, MacGyver managed to squeeze himself between two of the racks in one of the darker parts of the warehouse and stayed silent as the two men passed. Once he heard them go down one of the adjacent aisles, Mac peeked out. He thought about the phone on the showroom floor or the adjacent manager's office, but the two gunmen were already heading that way. As he doubled back up the aisles he had just come from, something instinctual came over him. Okay, let's see what we have to work with, he thought as the gears in his mind started to turn. MacGyver's eyes intensely started darting at the space around him as he took in what he had to work with. A table saw, a shop vac, a plastic bucket used as a garbage pail, containers of industrial lacquer, and lots and lots of sawdust. That'll work. First things first, he thought. Gotta make sure those guys stay on the other side of the building while I work. Picking up an unfinished table leg from the floor, Max swung it hard over his head up and over the top of the next aisle of crates and waited for it to crash into something metallic and hollow. It seemed to work, as he heard two sets of footsteps follow the loud clanging. As he took the top of the shop vac apart, MacGyver started to recall random moments in his life when he had to create something to save his life, such as bazooka from a muffler, car seat stuffing, and steering knob. Pouring containers of lacquer into a garbage bucket, his mind flashed back to making grenades out of cotton wool, fertilizer, starter fluid, and newspaper. He was stacking mounds of sawdust when he recalled making landmines out of pine cones and pine pitch to stop some assassin's vehicles. When you don't carry a weapon, you have to be prepared to be a weapon. Avoid confrontation whenever possible. But don't let a bad situation get the best of you. Remember, there's always a way out. These were some of the mantras MacGyver lived his life by. More times than he can remember, he kept him alive. He hoped this would be another one of those times. He poured some of the lacquer on the floor, in front of the pile of sawdust and wood chips. He had piled them on the workbench in front of the shop vac he had rewired to blow out instead of in and turned on the saw to get the gunman's attention. With the remaining seconds he had left, 
He took the bucket and the unplugged extension cord with him as he climbed up to the nearest crates until he was in position above the spilled lacquer. Mac hoped enough time had passed that the liquid would be sticky enough for the trap he set. Just then he could hear the two men approaching. He stayed low on the huge furniture box that he had climbed up on and waited. Once Mac could hear their steps walking through the puddle he had made, he stood up on the crate and poured the liquid over both armed men. Before they could register what had happened, MacGyver plugged in the extension cord of the shop vac. It then blew all the sawdust and wood chips piled mid-level to the now-adhesive men, and not only blinded them, but started to choke them as they inhaled the micro bits of wood. In a frantic reaction to the pain and confusion now assaulting his senses, one of the gunmen dropped his automatic weapon with a thud on the floor. That left the other one. Max seized the moment to jump down and slam the now-empty bucket down on the still-armed thug, knocking him unconscious. He used his left elbow to drive it into the other man's nose, knocking his head back, and then, with all the strength he had in his right arm, punched straight into his face, knocking him out. With both men out, MacGyver reached down and slid the handguns under some nearby pallets. He wanted to use the duct tape he carried in his pocket to tie their hands, but he needed to deal with the last guy before he knew what was going on. But as MacGyver stood up, he caught something out of the corner of his eye. Peering wide-eyed at him from behind a row of factory boxes was his last opponent's head staring back at him. There was a moment the two locked eyes, frozen, waiting to see what the other would do. Suddenly, the remaining man turned, and using the distance and racks of equipment between them, ran for the door. Hey! Mac yelled as his legs started after him. If he timed it right, he could catch up with him where the aisles crossed up ahead and end this. He couldn't see him, but he could still hear him from the next row over as he gasped and panted his way towards the exit. Despite his gasping for air, though, he remained a good pace ahead. Mac caught a final glimpse of him as he crossed over towards the exit. With the crash, the thug was through the door and outside before MacGyver could clear the dark pathway out of the warehouse aisle. Normally, he'd be more cautious to not dart out blindly through the door. It was clear, though, that even though he was in possession of a weapon, he was just the money man and not the muscle. A blast of outside light temporarily blinded the middle-aged man as the sun hit his face. As he blinked his eyes to adjust, he could make out the thug's car shifting into gear. He ran towards the back end of the car in a futile attempt to get the driver, but it was too late. With a screech of the tires, the vehicle sped out of the parking lot and took a quick ride onto the city street and disappeared from view. Mac's mind raced as he tried to figure out what to do next. He reached into his pocket for his phone and dialed a number he knew too well. Hi, this is MacGyver. Get me Jack O'Neill. MacGyver SG-1 is written, edited, and narrated by Matt Jackson. Music by Brian Bozowski. Art by Jared Brown of Darkstream Studios. 
Ermel Mall, and Nathan Shell of Commission Credentials. Donations can be made through PayPal at macwjackson at comcast.net. Look for more on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, and Twitter at macwjackson. Special thanks to Chuck Dixon, and especially Richard Dean Anderson, and everyone who is part of the Stargate and MacGyver worlds.